Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. Today, I would like to start out by reminding you that there is a website called wealthformula.com, and that's where there are lots of resources for you that you aren't getting by just listening to this podcast or watching this podcast. You can get some free books such as my free book that was a number one seller on Amazon called Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. You could also just get that by texting me at 44222 and typing in Wealth Formula. That's 44222 Wealth Formula. One word, and don't let the autocorrect screw with you. That being said, I also want to encourage you accredited investors out there to make it your goal this year to actually stop just listening and having your money put to some good use and joining uh, the investor club at wealthformula.com where we where all the magic happens. Uh, that said, let's talk about today's show. Okay, so I have a question for you, and that is, did you make any significant New Year's resolutions or set some serious 2020 goals for yourself this year that got you really excited. Now, we're probably about four weeks into the year. Um, and I bet when you set those goals, if you did, you likely felt a lot of energy. I know I did because I set some goals for sure. Um, you know, and, and you think to yourself, this time I'm going to do it, right? I've waited too long. It's time to take action. You felt like nothing was going to stop you. And then, now we're four weeks into the year. Maybe it's a little early, but sometimes, pretty quickly, you start losing steam on that goal, and then you go back to your baseline. If so, the question is, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Human nature, that's the simple answer. Personally, I think we, as humans are built on a series of set of thermostats in our lives. It just helps us to understand who we are and at least make sense out of this world and where we belong in it. Uh, we're sort of set this particular state of health and wealth and happiness. There's thermostats for all these things. And in order to reset any of those thermostats requires considerable effort. So, you know... If you're a self-help, you know, book enthusiast, you know what I'm talking about with, uh, you know, visualization and, you know, putting up photos of things you want um, and, you know, affirmations, you know, things that you say to yourself. Why? What's the point? Are these people nuts? What are they trying to do? Well, really, I think what it is, is that the idea is to simply try to reset those thermostats into reality by constantly reminding the subconscious that, you know, that there's there's a new normal in town and we have to get with the program. They create constant reminders to the subconscious of a new reality that you're trying to create. You know, the reality is that any significant goal requires a lot of energy and effort, okay? And if you don't fundamentally believe something is possible, it's hard to put in the consistent effort, right? If you think something is so beyond you that, you know, 
it, it may not really be worth it, then you're not going to do it. But if you can convince yourself that it is possible, that it is probable, and that po- potentially it's even inevitable, then you're going to put the effort in. The thing is that it all starts with that mindset, right? And if you can change any of these thermostats, right, health, wealth, uh, happiness, you're going to change your life. Um, and, and, you know, some people are better at it than other. Some people do it naturally. They just somehow it happens. I know for me in certain parts of my life, it's very easy to do that, right? To feel like I'm unstoppable. And then there's other parts of my life where it's really hard. It's really hard to think of a new reality because by definition, reality is where you live and to, to live in another reality is, is not easy. Um, but it is possible to change. It is possible to change and create a new reality, a new thermostat for yourself. I just wish I understood that when I was much younger because I think there's, well, I've spent a lot of time in my life wishing uh, that, you know, maybe I could be a little bit different, but not really understanding that was possible. Now, if you buy into this idea that you can fundamentally change your life by changing your mindset, uh, you are going to love today's show because this is a guy uh, I'm interviewing today by the name of Hal Elrod, who's really touched the life of a lot of people, including some very, very uh, well-known individuals who you might not even think need this kind of stuff. So when we come back, Hal Elrod. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. After surviving multiple near-death experiences and impacting millions of lives through his books, Hal Elrod is now on a mission to elevate the consciousness of humanity one person at a time. As a best-selling author of one of the highest-rated books in the world, The Miracle Morning, he's doing just that. The Miracle Morning has been translated into 34 languages, sold over 1 million copies, and is practiced daily by over 500,000 people around the world. His latest book is The Miracle Equation, the two decisions that move your biggest goals from possible to probable to inevitable. He's here to talk about that and more. Hal, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Buck, it's an honor, man. Thanks for having me. It's great to connect. Hal, listen, you are the author of a very well-known book uh, called The Miracle Morning, which I read a few years ago. And I have to say that I'm amazed at really how many people were impacted by the book. I mean, it's a great book, but you know, usually you don't see this many prominent people kind of like, yeah, I'm following the Miracle Morning. And I, I say that because I remember even a couple years ago talking to Robert Kiyosaki, which I don't know if you know Robert or not, but do, yeah. yeah, but he was telling me how he follows your Miracle Morning and he's sort of an icon in our community, right? So uh, you've impacted a lot of lives and congratulations on that. Tell me, I mean, is that what you expected when you wrote this thing? <laughs> Not at all. Um, I, so the Miracle Morning was a morning ritual that I created in 2008 when the economy had crashed and I was kind of at rock bottom and I needed to change my life. And I just kind of studied what are the world's most successful people do? Oh, they wake up early and they do some positive things and yeah. put themselves in a good mindset. And so I, I thought I'm at such a low point in my life at that, you know, at that time, I thought I need to create like the 
ultimate morning ritual. And so I combined the best practices of all of them and, and combined into one. And after two months of doing this morning ritual, it didn't have a name. It wasn't a you know, book idea at all. Um, I more than doubled my income. I went from being in the worst shape of my life physically because I'd been depressed for six months. Just I was losing my house. I hadn't exercised. Um, I, I, I committed to run a 52 mile ultra marathon within these two months and started training for it. I, was, I wasn't a runner, never run before that. And, and my, my depression went away within a matter of, of you know, days, uh, if not a week or so of doing this practice. And I went to my wife. It was actually when my, I, I had gotten more clients, our income had more than doubled in those two months. And I went to my wife and go, sweetie, this morning ritual, is changing every, it's like a, it's like a freaking miracle. Mm-hmm. And she goes, it's your miracle morning. <laughs> I go, yeah, I love it. Miracle morning. So I just started writing my schedule, miracle morning every day, miracle morning. Right. Yeah. And then I taught it to my, I was coaching salespeople at the time and I taught it to my coaching clients and um, every, almost every one of them was like, I'm not a morning person. Yeah. I go, yeah, no, 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 no. Neither was I, neither was I just do this and this and this and like, watch what happens. And every single one, except for one, there was one that was stubborn. Every client came back to our next call and was like, oh my gosh, it worked. I'm waking up early. I feel motivated. I'm, I'm productive. I'm, you know, my sales are improving on and on and on. And that's when the light bulb went off and I went, wait a minute, if this worked for me, you know, miracle morning worked for me and I'm not a morning, I wasn't a morning person and it's working for all of my clients who were adamant that it, it wouldn't work because they weren't morning people. The light bulb was like, well, this could, it would work for anybody, you know, but, but when I wrote the book, it was like, I have to write this and, and, and for anyone that might read it, I never imagined it would reach millions yeah. of people. So that was, it's been every day. I, I kind of am blown away by it. That's great. That's great. So the new book, um, it's called a miracle equation and you know, I like equations. I'm a, you know, math science guy. It is a number of our listens. And, you know, even with the name of my podcast, wealth formula, we have an equation for that, but obviously, um, you know, uh, you have to define what you're trying to achieve. Right. And so in this case, uh, you know, that equation, ultimately is what gets you to this uh, thing called the miracle. Now what, but that leads us to the question, I guess, you know, what exactly is a miracle? It's an important question because it's such a loaded word, right? You know, miracle has a lot of different connotations and and most of them are very uh, untrustworthy, you might say, right? In terms of like miracles are random or they happened, you know, thousands of years ago, but not anymore. Or, or I have no control over a miracle. If it, you know, I can, I can pray or hope or whatever, I, probably like you, right? right? I, 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 I'm a practical result oriented person. And so my definition for miracle is a relatively practical results oriented definition. So the way I define a miracle is a miracle is any meaningful outcome that is beyond the realm of what you currently believe is probable for you. So I'll say that again. It's a meaningful outcome beyond what you believe is probable for you. And therefore, when you achieve said outcome, right, you can, you can call that a goal or a dream or whatever, but it feels like a miracle because it's so far beyond what you've ever done before. And if you look at the world's most successful people in all walks of life, that's what they do, right? They're, they're, they're breaking barriers. They're, whether it's in, you know, athletics, professional sports, the Olympics, whether it's, you know, an Elon Musk or Richard Branson there, or, or, a, you know, um, Steve Jobs, it's, it's, it's breaking new ground. It's doing things that have never done before. Mm-hmm. And thus, you know, these are meaningful outcomes that are beyond the realm of what these people have ever accomplished before. And if you think about it, everybody in our life, we want that. Like, I don't know anyone that doesn't want to be able to define, Hey, here's what I would love to do. Um, and then just do it. And few people do that. And for me, it's come through this lifetime of experience where when I was 20 years old, I was hit head on by a drunk driver, died for six minutes, told I would never walk again. And I used the miracle equation to take my first step in three weeks. Then after that, I went back into a sales career. I tried to break this all-time record that no one in 50 years had ever done. And I was able to do it in 10 days. Then three years ago, I was diagnosed with a really rare aggressive form of cancer. I was given a 10 to 30% chance of surviving. And I turned that into a hundred percent and, you know, and I, I beat the odds and, and defied the logic of doctors. And then in the midst of that, I had set this goal to sell a million copies of the miracle morning, something I knew had no, and that was a miracle. Like I had no idea how to do that. And, and I ended up more than doubling it. Now we're over 2 million copies sold. And so I don't say any of those to, you know, yeah. to, not to bring no, right. sense. 
it's like the, so for me, it's, I, I then looked at, okay, what is this formula that I call the miracle equation? I will break it down. I'm sure, you know, yeah. it's, but, um, but then I started looking outside of myself and I've been looking, I mean, I've been really, I, I, I've been doing this for 20 years. So it's, 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 I've had 20 years of not only my own experience, but looking at the world's most successful people in all walks of life and realizing that this equation, which is made up of two really simple decisions, relatively simple decisions, but it's every successful person on the planet virtually, uh, this is, these are the decisions that they live by and you'd be hard pressed to find someone that doesn't. So there's an equation. And so what are the variables? What equals, you know, what equals the the miracle coming true? I guess what 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 makes the 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 unlikely, um, you know, possible and ultimately probable. So I I always want to start with a simple uh, or, or a short disclaimer, which is that the two decisions are deceptively simple in their explanation, right? Mm-hmm. But they're very rare in their execution, and it's true for most things in life. You know, most things in life, the key to success. You know, if you want to be the best basketball player, right? You just shoot a thousand free throws a day, but most people don't have the, they don't do it. They don't just don't do the things that are necessary. Um, so, so these are deceptively simple in an explanation to where you might go, uh, okay, that's it. It's gotta be, it's gotta be more complicated than that. Um, but then if you actually, as we start to peel this back, um, and you realize, well, wait a minute, do I actually make those two decisions, right? Like I understand them. They're really relatively simple, but do I make them and do I maintain them? And the answer for, you know, I'd say, 98% of us is, is no, is I don't, you know? Um, so the first decision, uh, is unwavering faith. It's, and I don't mean faith in a higher power, not to discount that, but I'm talking about an unshakable belief in yourself and your ability and willingness to commit to do whatever it takes to achieve whatever it is that you are committed to achieving, right? It's that faith in yourself and the word unwavering is really important. So let's look at the opposite of this. If you look at, think about the reason that people don't go after big goals and dreams is they're not able or or willing to establish the faith that they can do this thing that they've never done before. But the world's most successful people that they have by default, they establish faith. They go out on faith to do something that they've never done before. And in the case of like an Elon Musk, you know, there were no electric cars, right? Really on the road. It was something that not only had he never done before, it it had never been done before. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, th- but that's, that's what innovation is, right? It's stepping out on faith and doing something that's never been done before. So the first piece of it is you've got to establish the faith that you can do something you've never done. And that's the easy part, right? If you've ever been, you know, you go to a Tony Robbins seminar or, you know, you listen to self-help tape and you, you have that, what they call um, blind optimism, right? Which is, I, I can do anything. So establishing the faith, while mm-hmm. it's not a given, it's the easier part of the equation. The, the, uh, the, the, it's the making the faith unwavering because as for most of us, as soon as we encounter an obstacle, a roadblock, a setback, things aren't going as quickly as planned. It's not looking good. It, it, it you know, it, it, maybe we hit a wall, the faith in ourselves and our ability to achieve that thing, the faith goes out the window. And so that first part of the equation is establishing and maintaining unwavering faith that you can accomplish your your miracle, right? Your meaningful outcome that is beyond the realm of what you currently believe is probable for you. And, and any, if I'll pause and you can, if you have any thoughts or questions on that, and then we can talk about the second decision. No, I, I think the, the unwavering faith, it reminds me a lot of, um, you know, sort of what you hear about, uh, what you hear about people who have done extraordinary things. I mean, you hear about Steve Jobs had this idea, you know, that he could create his reality, right? And he would block out the reality that was and push people into his reality. And to me, that that resonates of this idea of unwavering, uh, unwavering faith. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, well, and it's, it, it absolutely is accurate. And and again, it seems so, it seems kind of esoteric. It seems kind of intangible, right? It's like, well, yeah, but how do you maintain unwavering faith? So let me really quick, make it really tangible. Um, again, this is not rocket science. Yeah. When I first developed, and, and, and let me also be clear, when I first developed the miracle equation, it was actually when I was 20 years old, it was a year and a half after my car accident and I was in a sales competition. And uh, I had looked back at my car accident and realized that these two decisions is how I was able to defy the logic of doctors and take my first step three weeks after the crash 
after I was found dead and, and after the doctor said I would never walk again. And then I decided to apply it to the sales competition. And I was trying to break a record that no one had ever done before in, in the, in the company's history. And once I did it, it happened in kind of miraculous fashion. And I started studying the world's most successful people and going, Oh, this is how they did it too. So the way that I did it is the way I maintained unwavering faith is I simply made a statement in writing. You could call it a mantra or an affirmation. In fact, in the book, I, you know, I, I teach you how to, or how to script your miracle mantra, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it simply said, I am committed to blank, right? Blank was the, the goal I was working towards. So for you, you fill in that blank for whatever yours is. Um, I am committed to blank no matter what, there is no other option, right? Very simple. Yep. But what derails us is fear, the fear of failure, the fear of being embarrassed, the fear of not achieving this thing, the fear of wasting our time. You can, there's a lot of different fears that, that derail us from everything that we really, really want for our lives. And so the, the secret is simple as it is, right? The key is you've got to simply have a mechanism for me, it's that written statement that I used to carry around in my pocket to override fear with faith. So whenever I would go out and I would, I would be working towards this goal and I would have, you know, I would have a no sale or I would have a canceled order. Or I would have, you know, a, a day of, you know, where all my appointments would fall out or fall through or whatever. And I would have that voice of fear, which is like, ah, there's no way I'm going to reach the goal. I'm not on track. This is, this is impossible. There, there's no point. I would pull this out of my pocket and I would simply say, I am committed to achieve this goal no matter what, there is no other option. And I would literally say it with conviction over and over and over and over and over and over again until I picked up my phone and I called the next prospect and I did the only thing that I could do that would move me in the direction of my goal. And so that first decision, unwavering faith, is, is that's the mindset piece. And and if you look at like the, you know, um, world champion athletes, like Michael, I don't know about you, but like growing up for me, it was Michael Jordan, right? Mm -hmm. That was, he was the epitome of of, Mm -hmm. of a world champion. Um, I believe that at some point, and I haven't had a conversation with Michael Jordan, but if you look at a Michael Jordan or LeBron James or Kobe Bryant, or, you know, I'm I'm picking basketball, pick any sport. Um, uh, I believe that they have an unwavering faith in, in the way they approach the game. So most players, right, just like most people in, in life, but most players on the court, even the NBA, even the best players in the world, when the game is on the line, if uh, most don't want the ball, right, there, there's too much pressure. They, that fear of failure dominates their consciousness. Or if they miss a few shots in a row, the fear grows and they go, oh man, I missed the last two. I don't, you know, the ball comes in, they just throw it back because they're too afraid. And I believe that the best in the world, I call these miracle mavens, people that, that live by this equation, the best in the world with Michael Jordan misses three shots in a row while everybody else is going, ah, I'm not going to take, you know, I missed three in a row. I'm going to take another one. Jordan goes, give me the ball. I'll make the fourth. And if he shoots the fourth and he misses the fourth, his faith doesn't waver. He says, give me the ball. And you, I've seen the Kobe's and the Jordans and the LeBron's where they have the first three quarters of the game and they suck it up and they miss every shot and they're having the worst game ever. And 99% of human beings on the planet would let fear dominate their consciousness and they would go, I'm not shooting anymore. And then you see these players come on in the fourth because their faith doesn't waver and they take over the game and they win. And it's that mindset that allows them to win in life. And it's that mindset that will allow you and I to win in our lives. And that drives the second, uh, ultimately that mindset is required to drive the second variable, which is. Yeah. The second decision is extraordinary effort. Got it. Extraordinary effort. And, the, the term is almost a little bit deceiving because I think that it's overwhelming. Somebody goes, Oh, extraordinary effort. So I got to work hard. Uh, you know, I don't, either, either you either dismiss it because you go, yeah, of course I have to work hard or you dismiss it because you go, I don't really want to work hard. Um, and it's not about working hard to me, extraordinary effort. If I had to define it in, in, you know, in, in a, in a sentence, it's consistent effort over an extended period of time right? Mm -hmm. That's what makes it extraordinary. Most of us, when that infatuation, you know, we make a decision, a commitment to put forth the effort. I'm going to get in shape this year. I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to write my book. I'm going to do whatever. But as soon as what I call that infatuation period wears off, 
right? Then our drive for the effort is gone. It's like, eh, yeah. I don't feel like it anymore. Sort of microcosm there would be like right around now, you know, people have these uh, <clears throat> New Year's resolutions and they go off to a real heavy start, right? And then <laughs> before you know it, the this desire is just not there anymore and it's it's over. Yeah. Yeah. And what happens is here's the beauty of that. You know, you kind of said it a a minute ago, which is that first decision, unwavering faith, it fuels the second decision of extraordinary effort. Because when you repeat the miracle mantra, as as I will, and by the way, it's it's so funny, the timing, my daughter is is a little behind in school right now. And so I made a mirror. I go, sweetheart, it hit me yesterday. I was waking up in the morning and I go, wait a minute, why have I not taught you the miracle equation? She's like, yeah. you mean your new book? I go, yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, look, you're going to apply this to your schooling and watch what happens. And she's like, okay. So I wrote out her miracle mantra. I am committed to earning two, she has to earn, they're called Eagle Bucks. To, she's in a private school. It's a unique thing. But anyway, uh-huh. to be on track for where she needs to go. I'm going to earn two Eagle Bucks a day, uh, a day to, to achieve my goal no matter what. There's no other option. And I wrote it out. I had her take it to school. And yesterday was the first day in I don't know how long that, and it was at the last minute, but she, before, as soon as she finished, she, she got to her two Eagle bucks for the day. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so I digress a little bit. Uh, it was a proud moment for dad though. But, uh, but so yeah, so there's the, I call this the faith effort feedback loop, which is when you establish unwavering faith that you can achieve a goal. And then you reinforce that faith over and over and over and over every day, you all of a sudden feel a drive to actually live in alignment with that what, what the statement that you're making, right? I'm committed to achieve this goal. I'm committed to follow through with this, no matter what, there's no other option. And then that fuels your effort. And then once you start putting forth the effort and it's not about working 80 hours a week, it's about doing one thing every day that moves you in the direction of your most meaningful goals, dreams, desires, your, your, your measurable miracles, if you will do one thing every day that moves you in the direction of those. And when you do that, you start to feel entitled, it's what I call in the book enlightened entitlement, right? It's not entitled that it's just going to fall in your lap. It's, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm making consistent effort every day. I feel really good about that. I feel entitled to the outcome that I'm working towards because I'm doing the things that I, that are required. And then that fuels your faith. Cause you go now, you now the faith is really, you go, I believe it. I see it. I feel it. I'm doing it. And that fuels the effort. And so it's this beautiful feedback loop where the faith fuels the effort and the effort fuels the faith and round and round you go until you wake up one day and you go, I'm on my way. And then you wake up another day and you go, I did it. I finally did it. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the establishment of the, the goal or, you know, the miracle itself, so to speak. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you hear people talk about goals and you know, they should be attainable you know, that kind of thing. Um, in, in, in some respects, what you're saying is, you know, it shouldn't be that you're something that necessarily that right now you think is, uh, probable or attainable. Um, should they be attainable or should they not? What is the, is the ultimate goal of the miracle, the goal itself, or is it the transformation that takes place in you as an individual when you, strive for that miracle to happen? It's a great question. And it, it, for me, I draw on wisdom that I learned from one of my mentors, Jim Rohn, right? Many years ago. And uh, to paraphrase what Jim Rohn said, the purpose of a goal is not to hit the goal. The purpose of a goal is what it makes of you in your pursuit of the goal, right? So in other words, if you set a, a, a goal, a massive goal and you work towards it. And, you know, let's say it's a, it's a 12 month goal. In fact, I'll, I'll, let me tell you a real, a real life story here. Um, because I think this, this exemplifies, and not only will this answer your question, but it exemplifies one of the components of the miracle equation, which is once you, once you make these two decisions and they're not one-time decisions, right? These are, it's a way of life. It's, it's, I'm going to every goal I set, I'm going to establish faith, that I can achieve it. I'm going to reinforce that faith through daily affirmations so that the faith becomes unwavering and it literally becomes my consciousness. It's, it's just how I think about everything I'm working towards through a lens of unwavering faith in my ability, my commitment, my resolve. And then I will put forth extraordinary effort, which, you know, in the book, I break down, how do you define your process and actually make it really tangible and all of that. Once you live this way, with unwavering faith and extraordinary effort, the only variable is timing. 
Meaning very often it takes longer than you think. And here's the story that exemplifies and kind of ties all this together. When I wrote my, my first major book, the miracle morning, um, I didn't have a big ambition, you know, as, as I mentioned, it was just really, um, I want to change, you know, I feel like I have a responsibility to share this message with the world. And if a few people read it or a few hundred people read it or whatever, great. And that's kind of what I expected. But I started getting emails from people early on saying this radically changed my life. It saved my marriage. It got me off my depression medication. It, I mean, really, really profound results. And then my responsibility grew and I went, I got to think bigger. Like, and I set a goal, change 1 million lives one morning at a time. And I just picked the most arbitrary time frame, which is 12 months, right? Like I'll just, I'm going to go, I'm going to try to sure. sell a million copies the first year. I had no idea how I would do it. I just decided to apply the miracle equation, right? Unwavering faith, extraordinary effort. And, and let me explain what the extraordinary effort looked like. I, I had, uh, I had never done interviews on people's podcasts at that point. That first year when the book came out, I did 152 interviews on other people's podcasts. I didn't have my own podcast, but I launched one when the book came out. I did 52 of my own podcast interviews. I traveled the country and I gave 36 speeches at companies around the country to, to share the Miracle Morning message. I was on 13 television talk shows, including national talk shows for NBC, local morning shows, you name it. I truly put forth extraordinary effort. I did everything I could. Po- I was on social media every day. I mean, everything I could possibly do to sell a million copies of the book, which I had no idea how to do. And that year I sold, I believe it was 17,000 copies. Now, if you do the math, I think that's 98.3% or some, right? Like, I mean, I was, I, I wasn't even close. I, I yeah. missed the mark by sure. 900,000. Sure. Um, but here's the deal. I, I have enough, ex- I had been doing the miracle equation. I've done it for, you know, at that point, 12 years. And, and I understand that the only variable is timing, meaning just because it didn't happen year one, all that means is I have to keep applying the miracle equation. It's a way of life. I have to maintain unwavering faith that I can reach a million people with the miracle morning book. And I have to keep putting forth extraordinary effort and doing consistently each and every day, something, right? I wasn't working 10 hours a day. I was just doing an interview or two. Right? I was doing something every day to move in that direction. And year two, I think I sold like 20 or 30,000 copies year two. So I was still, I mean, I was, you know, I was on the like 150 year plan to reach my goal. Right. But <laughs> I stuck with the equation because I knew the only variable was timing. Was I discouraged? Yeah, I was, I was a little discouraged. Right. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not fun to be so far off on your goal and not really know that's where, that's why it's called faith. Right. It's not called, I know for sure. If I do this, I'm hitting the goal. I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to take year three. I did not hit it. Year four. I did not hit it. Year six we surpassed a million copies sold of the miracle morning. And now, uh, year 12 or year seven, you're what are you at? Seven or eight. We were at 2 million copies. So it's just, it's taken off. Right. Um, here's the point. This, this is maybe the greatest lesson that I've learned, you know, and it's, it, it, it's, it's, I would say patience is an oversimplification of the lesson, but here's the lesson. If you're listening to this, if you get nothing else, get this. When you finally get to the point in your life, or your business, whatever you're working towards, when you finally get to the point in your life that you've been working for so hard and for so long, you almost never wish it would have happened any sooner. Instead, you look back, call it hindsight, and you see that the timing and the journey, including the obstacles and the setbacks and the defeats, it was all perfect. You had to go through what you went through and experience what you experienced in order to learn what you needed to learn to become the person that you needed to be to create whatever that tangible, measurable miracle was. And you don't go, it's not like I got to a million copies. And I'm like, dang it. Why did it take me so long? I'm so upset. Yeah. No, I celebrated. I kissed my wife. I'm like, in fact, the fact that it took so long made it that much more meaningful. Yeah. yeah. You know? And so that yeah. goes back to the real purpose of a goal is yeah, yeah, eventually it's at the goal, but, but more than that, it's who are you becoming every day by enjoying the process, by staying committed, by developing the qualities and the characteristics of someone who can overcome and or accomplish anything and everything that you commit to because you live by these two decisions. So I'm glad you gave some, ex- you know, the, the example of the miracle morning is, is how you applied it. And you've applied it in, you alluded to earlier uh, a little bit about some of the health scares you've had in your life. How did the equation uh, help you 
through that? I mean, I guess sort of at a more granular level. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, um, the, uh, well, I'll back up. So when I had the car accident, um, I was 20 years old. I was hit head on by a drunk driver. Um, I broke 11 bones. I, uh, I had permanent brain damage. Uh, I still obviously have per- it's permanent. So I have permanent brain damage. My wife will vouch for that, by the way. Um, but uh, I was told I would never walk again. And I decided that I'm going to walk again. And, but actually I, I, I let me kind of take that back. I made, I decided there were two possibilities. Um, number one, I may never walk again. The doctors might be right. I, I really don't know. Right. I have I, I don't know. I can't, I can't guarantee. I have no idea. Right. I don't know how broken my bones or I don't know how, how this is going to play out. So possibly number one is I may never walk again. And I decided that if that was the case, you know, we'll, we'll call that the worst case scenario. Right. Um, I thought I'm not going to let that define my emotional well-being and my quality of life. So I decided, and I, I actually told my dad, I said, dad, if I never walk again, I promise you I'll be the happiest person that you've ever seen in a wheelchair because I'm in a, if I'm in a wheelchair either way, well, again, why would I let that def- be my excuse for a miserable existence? So if I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I'll be the happiest, most grateful person that I could be in a wheelchair. And I said, but that's only one possibility in my mind. I said, possibly number two is I will walk again. And I don't even know if it's possible, right? The doctors say it's definitely not probable, right? And remember the the definition of a miracle is a meaningful outcome beyond the realm of what you currently believe is probable for you, right? Mm -hmm. So that was not a very probable outcome was that I was going to walk again. And uh, I said, but dad, here's the deal. I've accepted the worst case scenario and I'm, I'm maintaining unwavering faith in the best case scenario. I am praying that I'm going to walk again every day. I'm meditating about it. I'm visualizing it. I'm, 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 you know, all my energy, my life force is going into the outcome that I really want until I'm proven otherwise. Right. I will maintain unwavering faith for as long as I can. And I'll put forth extraordinary effort. Right. And I would get wheeled into therapy and they would do this therapy. They'd move my legs and I would ask to stay longer. I would just do anything and everything I could in terms of my effort and, main, and I would actively establish and, and reinforce that faith every day. And, and I, you know, I don't have, a, I mean, this is anecdotal. I don't have a graph to show you how my body was healing because yeah. of my faith, right? In myself and my ability to heal. But here's what I have. I just have what, what happened, which is uh, three weeks after I was found dead at the scene and my, I broke my pelvis in three places, my femur broke in half in my thigh. I broke, you know, all the bones in my arm, my eye socket was broken. My ear was severed on and on the, uh, the doctors. And it was, it was a week after they had told my parents that I was in denial because I kept talking about that. I was going to walk in. The doctor said, you've got it. Your son is in denial. He's, he's going to be in for a rude awakening when he never walks again. And a week after that conversation, three weeks after the crash, the doctors came in with routine x-rays and they were dumbfounded. And they said, we don't know how to explain this, but how your body has healed to the point where we're going to let you take your first step today in therapy. So it went from never walking again to three weeks after I was found dead and broke all my bones. I took my first step and the doctors couldn't explain it. And then, so if you then fast forward, uh, so that was the first test of the miracle equation. And that was really without me. I didn't call it that. Right. Yeah. Then I went on break a year and a half later, I wanted to break this company record. And I went, wait, what if I establish those two decisions again, unwavering faith that I can do that, break this record and do something that's never been done before. And I put forth extraordinary effort regardless of my results. And along the way during that, that when I was trying to break the record, it was the worst results I had ever had. I had no sale and cancellation. Like it was terrible, but I, I kept reinforcing the faith that I was committed to reach this goal no matter what. And on the very last day, on the very last appointment, I had the largest order I had ever had in the history of my career. And I broke the all time record with literally, I mean, it was, it was the last minute. It was the 11th hour. And then three years ago, when I was diagnosed with this aggressive rare form of cancer, you know, I I was 37 years old. Miracle equation was developed when I was 20. So I had 17 years of living this. So it's like, you know, if you're hearing it right now, I'm sure you're skeptical. I'm sure you're like, ah, this sounds a little woo woo. I'm not really sure. Right. Like, um, which sounds like you're, sounds like you're a a little bit, uh, accident prone to me. So (laughs) 
<laughs> that's, what I'm a little, that's what I'm really worried about. <laughs> my, my, my friends all have mixed feelings. They're like, either it saves me with you because the odds of it hap- anything happening again aren't very good or we, we should stay away. I don't know. That's funny. Um, so, no, but I was diagnosed with this rare and aggressive form of cancer, right? And this is the most, this is actually yeah. why I finally wrote, I've wanted to write the miracle equation for years. Um, and when I was, when I was diagnosed with, or when I overcame the cancer and my publisher reached out and they're like, Hey, do you have a book in you? I said, I've got this book on my heart called the miracle equation. Um, I've wanted to write it for a long time. I, it's, it's how I just beat this cancer. I feel like now is that, you know, and, 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 you know, and, and it all worked out. Um, but I was, I, when I was diagnosed with cancer, the cancer that I had, it's called acute lymphoblastic leukemia. The survival rate is 10 to 30% right? So if you're a glass is half empty person, right? Right. That is, I was given a 70 to 90% chance I was going to die. And it's a very fast acting cancer. When I went into the hospital before we even knew it was cancer, my lung was collapsed. My kidneys were failing and my heart was failing, right? They had to go, I had to go through into emergency procedures for all of it. And, and I was days away from dying as the doctor told me on the day that I was diagnosed um, I, I told my wife, I said, look, and she, of course my wife was terrified. You know, I was, I was a little scared, but I, I knew this miracle equation. Like I had lived it. And I said, sweetheart, remember the miracle equation? And she's distraught. I'm like, I, I don't want to hear about your motivational bullshit. Like, you know, I said, no, 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 no. I said, sweetheart, this is how yeah. I've beat the odds over and over and over and over again. And I believe I have, I have unwavering faith in the equation itself. Right. Yeah. And I said, I said, I promise you there is a, in my mind, there is a, I know it's a 10 to 30% survival rate, which that's all she was fixated on. Of course. Right. You know, we at that time we had a, I have a seven-year-old daughter then and a four-year-old sure. son. I mean, it's the scariest sure. thing for anybody, especially a you know, parent with young kids. I said, sweetheart, forget the, the 10 to 30%. I said, I, I promise you as much as I can. I said, there is a one in my mind, there is a one hundred percent chance that I will be in the 10 to 30% of people that survive this. And I established my miracle mantra, which, you know, in writing, that's how the, that's how you, you know, when, when, when fear creeps in, you, you have, you know, written on your phone or piece of paper or whatever, this mantra that reminds you. And mine said, I am committed to beating cancer and living to be 100 plus years old alongside my wife and kids, no matter what, there is no other option. And I read that, I mean, probably over a thousand times, if not more during my cancer journey. And that allowed me to re- override my fear with faith. And then I put forth extraordinary effort. Now my extraordinary effort was combining the best of Western medicine. So I did the most intensive chemotherapy regimen in existence. It was a hundred hours of chemotherapy consecutively nonstop hooked up to an IV getting four to five chemo drugs round the clock for four to five days. I lost 25% of my body weight, every hair on my body. Uh, I was sick. I was infected. I was in the ER. I almost died multiple times. Um, uh, but I combine the best of Eastern medicine, which most people that get cancer, they just go and do their doctor says, right? I combine the best of Eastern medicine. So the best holistic practices. So I did coffee enemas. I juiced every day. I ate raw organic food. I, I took 70 supplements a day. I did acupuncture. I did ozone sauna. I did lymphatic massage. I did affirmation. I did my miracle morning every day, right? Yeah. I put forth extraordinary effort. And although it was the most difficult time in my life, the doctors kind of like the car accident, they were blown away by how fast my body began healing. In fact, I was in remission within my first month of, of, of combining the best of these practices. Uh, And of course the doctors, they keep you on the chemo and you go through eight months of it. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's horrific and it's not even the cancer that's destroying you. It's the chemo that's destroying you. Right. I mean, that's, what's killing you. Uh, as one of my nurses very honestly said, she goes, you know, the goal is that we, we kill the cancer before we kill you. That's yeah. what we're trying. Yeah. That's you basically know? it. Well, um, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm curious, um, you know, before we, before we wrap it up, I'm curious where now, where you're at now, if you're willing to kind of share with us, how are you, what, what's your current miracle? I mean, you've accomplished a lot, right? Yeah. And, do you have something you could share with us that you're going to, that you're working on? Yeah. Um, so 
the I've got a professional miracle, which I'll, I guess I can share that in a second. But um, but for me, that's on that's second. That's secondary. Um, my miracle is living in alignment with my values. And uh, and and I I got a wake up call with cancer, and then I fell backwards. Um, meaning my wake up call with cancer is that I was a workaholic and I was sacrificing my health for productivity and achievement and impacting people in the world. And I was sacrificing time with my family. In my mind, I think yeah. for most entrepreneurs, this is true. If I say, what's the most important thing in the world? If you have a family, most of them go my family, right? Whenever I give a speech, I always ask the question. I go, if I were to look at your schedule, w- w- would that be obvious? And nobody's hand goes back up, right? It's like, no. Yeah. What, what it shows is that that's not really what I value. And I learned the hard way that that was true for me. I was valuing productivity and achievement above family and health. Um, and so cancer was a wake up call to that. And then I got this book deal for the miracle equation and I was on the hook for this deadline. I had to get it done. And I fell back into my old workaholic, you know, yeah. and, uh, and about five months ago, um, I had what you might call a nervous breakdown. Um, I had, I had two books in the works. I have the miracle morning movie as a documentary that we're producing coming out this year. Um, I had started building a team to, to change the world. I had, I just, I, I got in way over my head huh. and, uh, and then the effects of the chemotherapy accumulatively on my brain and the, my cognitive abilities, I started having anxiety and anyway, it's, I won't go too deep, but I basically, I, I, I lost it. And that was, you know, that was thankfully a, a, a reminder and a really reinforcement of the wake up call without getting cancer again, going, Hey, Hey, hey buddy, did you, you know, it was a smack across the right. Sure. You, you didn't learn your lesson. And, uh, and so I decided that, and, and I'll leave everybody with, with this. Um, I believe that one of the most important things that we can do, and this is my miracle right now, it's living in alignment with my values. I believe this mm-hmm. is the key and I'm still understanding this and, and, and living it, but I'm really, I've really come, you know, I'm, I'm, I can say I'm, I'm there. Um, but it's the idea that most of us don't live in alignment with our values, our highest values. We tend to sacrifice health, family, freedom, happiness, joy for money, for productivity, for achievement, you know, and, I, and I've been as guilty of that as anybody. And for me, I got really clear, what are my highest values? Health, family, and freedom. Freedom to live a life that I want to live, that I love to live. No, not on other people's agendas, but on my own. And so here's here's kind of a three-part framework. I learned this from my coach, Jeffrey Williams, as we've been working through this value alignment is number one, know yourself. Get really clear on what your highest values are. And yours might be the same, health, family, freedom. Mm-hmm. They might be different. Uh, and they can change over time. Number two is love yourself. Once you're clear on, once you know yourself and you're clear on your highest values, love yourself. And that means love yourself enough to shut down everything that is conflicting with your highest values. That's not in alignment with those values. So for me, I let my team go because I could, I, I just, I can't manage a group of people right now. It's not, yeah. it just causes too much stress. I canceled my live event next year. It would have been our seventh year in a row. I canceled my seventh year of doing my mastermind. I put my book series on hold. I canceled my largest, highest paid speaking engagement ever. Cause it was in Moscow and it would have taken me away from my family for two weeks on um, radical changes. Like, and by the way, if you're if, like what this might look like for somebody, if you're listening, you might go, well, I have a job that I hate but I need to make money. Right. So I'm sacrificing my happiness, maybe my health, right. And maybe my family because I need to make money. Right. Mm-hmm. So this doesn't mean that you rip the bandaid that you flip the switch that you go, okay, I'm quitting my job today, but it does mean this. It means that you've got to love yourself enough to plan your exit strategy. If you need to make money, great. There's infinite ways to make money. Your life is too short to spend your time doing something that you hate doing that causes you stress that causes you to resent the life that you wake up and live every day. So step two is love yourself enough to shut it down. And step three is be yourself, which means create a lifestyle and a schedule that is in alignment with your values so that you wake up every day and you can't wait to live the life that you've designed. And that might take you a year. That, that's not it. Like I said, this isn't an overnight process, but know yourself, get in alignment with your values, 
love yourself, shut down everything that's not in alignment and be yourself, create a schedule, a lifestyle that you love to live. And I honestly can't think of any three things more important to do for us to truly live the miracle that is this life. That is uh, just terrific advice. The book, again, is called The Miracle Equation, uh, The Two Decisions That Move Your Biggest Goals from Possible to Probably Inevitable. Obviously, we can find it, I'm assuming, everywhere Amazon. Everywhere books are sold, yeah. <laughs> everywhere books are sold. Hal, thanks again for being on Well Formula Podcast. Thanks, Buck. It's pre- appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. And I know many of you out there are skeptics, right? Because there's a lot of science people back there and, uh, you know, doctors and stuff like that and engineers. Um, You know, I used to be skeptical of this stuff myself. However, if you really feel stuck, maybe you should give some of these methods, some of these tactics a try. You know, as I suggested um, during the interview when I was talking to Hal, I was sort of surprised, honestly, to hear um, Robert Kiyosaki talk about how he was following this miracle morning that Hal Elrod had put out. I'm thinking to myself, after all, I mean, what does Robert want that he doesn't have already? The reality is, though, if you think about it, we all have our thing, right? Financial success is only one piece of it. You've also got, you know, wealth and happiness and all those other things. And it could be, you know, it could be trying to get, he might maybe trying to get healthier. Maybe he's trying to get happier. Maybe he's trying to get clarity in his life everybody's got their thing. Everybody does. So even if you don't believe it, maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you should just give it a try. At worst, it doesn't work. At best, you change yourself into a person that you want to be. And, you know, in the language of our investments, uh, that's kind of like an asymmetric bet, right? So it's easy one to do. It doesn't cost you anything. Give it a try. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.